Hello, you're listening to Fish Food, a podcast for entrepreneurs who started working for themselves to build companies that grow into thriving businesses. Here, we provide bite-sized accounting and entrepreneurship advice in 20 minutes or less. I'm your host, Keila Hill Trawick, and whether you're acting as your own accountant or looking for a new one, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. So today we've got something a little bit different for you that I think you're going to enjoy. Recently, we held a free webinar slash open house to let you know, one, how to prepare for end of year so that you feel more ready for taxes, and two, what it looks like to work with Little Fish as part of the tax prep suite. So we've got two episodes for you coming up. Today's is going to be specifically focused on really actionable steps that you can take in order to prepare for tax season, what you need to know, how to feel less stressed about it, and some frequently asked questions about quarterly estimates. Can't wait to get started. Let's jump in. All right. Hello, everybody. For those of you who don't already know me, my name is Keila Hill Trawick. I am the founder and owner of Little Fish Accounting. I am supported by an amazing team, a couple of which you will meet today. And what we want to talk about today really is getting you prepared for tax season. I always like to remind people that it's a year-round experience, even though the industry will kind of push us towards thinking about March and April. And so I want to give you some real tips about how to prepare for the season, a bit of an overview about like how estimated taxes work, and then introduce you to a member of our team, tell you about our service. And if we have time and I talk fast enough that you can get it all in, I will answer any questions that come up. All right. So a little bit about us before we get started. We are Little Fish Accounting. We're a boutique CPA firm that specializes in accounting, tax, and finance functions for micro businesses. What does that mean? It means that most of our clients have one to two owners, are performing professional services, meaning you're making the money from things out of your brain, and typically have very small teams, so teams of 10 or less. Uh, what's funny is I like to say that actually Little Fish is probably our ideal client. We have a team of six of us, all professional service advisory firm. And really what is important to us is transparency and education. And so we provide a year-round experience with partnerships from just taking care of taxes to taking all of the monthly things off of your plate, but really trying to make sure that you have access to an accountant. Uh, my mission in starting the business was that accounting information was accessible to businesses who might not otherwise get it. And so today is just one of the ways that we want to make sure that you get the information that you need so you're not starting at zero. All right, so let's talk about taxes. There are a couple of types of taxes. There are various types of taxes, but these are the ones that you're going to run into the most often. So the first one is withholding tax. This is income tax. It is a percentage based on your income. And usually these are coming out of your paycheck if you work for someone or if you're working for yourself. This is the estimated payments that are going to the IRS and the state. You also have self-employment tax. Self-employment tax is the employer and employee side of Medicare and Social Security. So when you work for somebody, when you work a W-2 job, we got no W-2 shame here, okay? We mostly work with business owners, but if you have a W-2 too, we want to make sure that you're covered. If you work at a W-2 job, your job is paying half of your Social Security and Medicare, and you're paying the other half out of your check. 
when you work for yourself, the IRS says, well, you are the employer and the employee, so you get to pay both sides. They try to make it better by allowing you to deduct half of it, but you are still responsible for paying that. And that's about 15-ish percent. Then you have sales tax. So I will say that all states treat this differently, um, but generally you are paying sales tax on goods and not services. So if you sell a tangible item, you sell widgets, you sell bottles, you sell sometimes digital products, you will potentially have a sales tax obligation. The important thing to remember here is that you are a pass-through for sales tax. So this is not income to you when you receive it, and it is not an expense to you when you pay it out. Instead, we won't go too deep into this, but it lives on your balance sheet. So essentially, if you sell somebody something for $100 and they pay you $5 in sales tax, you take $100 in sales, and this $5 kind of lives in this holding account until the state wants to get paid every month or every quarter, depending on how often they tell you you got to pay up. And then the final one is franchise tax. These are used in different ways, but you'll typically see this in one of two scenarios. The first type of franchise tax is a percentage-based. So you'll see that a state will say, hey, as a business, you're going to pay a flat rate of 7 or 8% on your business income to us. Sometimes you'll see franchise tax and it's really a fee. So I have seen some states that call it a franchise tax, but they're like, you have to pay me $200, $300 a year. That is not really a tax because it's not an assessment on your income. And if it's a fee, it may be deductible in a way that tax payments are not. And we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, but before we get into all that, I want to do an overview of how taxes work. The internet will have you thinking that tax returns are this black hole that you can't understand and you have to pay somebody for it and they are lying about deductions, which we will also cover today. But the taxes start with the IRS and most states are pay as you go. So what that means is they don't want to have to wait until you file your tax return to get paid. They want their money now. And so if you work for somebody, every time you get paid, or if you work for yourself and you're on payroll, every time you get paid, a portion of your check is going to the IRS in the state. These are estimates. This is trying to guess, based on the money that you're making, how much you might owe the IRS. When you work for yourself or you're a freelancer and you have business profit, you pay quarterly taxes. Again, these are estimates. This is you giving money to the IRS who doesn't know how much money you've made to say, hey... I got some money and I know that you're going to ask for some next year. So I'm going to go ahead and give you some of it now. So all of these are estimates. However, you're making payments to the IRS and state. It's a educated guess. And at the end of the year, what your tax return is doing is settling up. And so your tax preparer will go into your return, put in all of your information, all of your types of income, um, all of your deductions, and the IRS kind of does its magic in the background and says, okay, you owe us this much in taxes. So the IRS or your tax return says, okay, based on all of the stuff that you gave us, it looks like you should have paid $10,000 in taxes. The next line says, oh, but I already paid you some of that. You took this much out of my paycheck throughout the year. I paid you this much in estimated taxes. So if you've overpaid, say you've paid $12,000, you will get a refund of the difference. If you have underpaid, you have to pay the difference. So the reason that I bring this up is that some people, for example, will be looking for a refund, but you haven't paid any taxes yet. Unless you have some kind of credits, you're unlikely to get any money back if you haven't put any money in. 
The other thing to know is that you are taxed for your business on profit. So if you don't make any money, you typically won't have a tax expense to have to be responsible for. And if you've paid some earlier in the year, you might get a refund back. So this first step is a sense of how you can look at your tax return when you receive it. So even if you don't understand all of the rules and all of the steps, your first gut check can be, does my W-2 on line one line up? Is that what I made? When I look down at what it says for my business income, does that line up with my financial reports? So you want to make sure that you engage with somebody who's going to educate you and make sure they answer your questions. But I also don't want you in the dark when you look at your tax return. As some of you all might have seen by some superstars going to jail, it is not enough to just say, ask my accountant. When you sign your tax return, you say that you are liable and understand what has gone into that. And so even if you don't understand all of the nuances, we really just want to make sure that you have a general sense of what you're looking at when you look at your return. All right. So we talked a little bit about quarterly taxes and quarterly taxes. Remember, again, are the estimated payments that you're sending to the IRS and the state almost in advance of next year's tax burden. So what you're doing is paying in advance so that when you file your tax return, hopefully you've paid enough. A question that we always get asked is when are they due? Um, the IRS could not make this easy and just put this on general calendar year quarters. So they are due April, June, September 15th and January 15th. And those payments are as of the end of the month before it. So for example, Q1 that's due on April 15th is actually covering your profit from January through March. How much do you pay? Now, this is partially dependent on your tax bracket, and that is going to be based on a variety of other things that are in your tax life. But the general rule of thumb to set money aside is that I tell people you should be setting aside between 25 and 30 percent of profit. What is generally happening in most of our clients' cases is that they're falling between 20 and 25% in terms of IRS payments and about 5 to 8% for the state. Make sure that you remember, and I will say this a lot, that these are estimates. It doesn't negate the fact that you might owe some or maybe get a refund, but this will at least have you put some to the side so that you can have a sense of what might be due from you in March or April, depending on when your return is filed. Now, how do I pay? You might be surprised to learn that the IRS and the state make it real easy for you to give them some money. And so the IRS has um, irs.gov slash payments where you can go in. They will ask you some identifying information and you can make a payment directly for estimated taxes or old taxes. And then if you just Google um, your state plus tax payments, almost all of them have a direct portal through their Department of Revenue that will allow you to put in, again, identifying information information, your social, your name, all of that so that you can make payments on your own behalf. Now, we at Little Fish, when we are doing this for our clients, we make payments based on your year-to-date profit. So I just want to break out what that looks like. What you are actually responsible for is that quarter. So like we said, Q1, you're looking at profit from January through March. Then Q2, you're looking at April and May. You can make those payments, but the reason that we recommend that you look at year to date is because it will catch any adjustments that you've done in your bookkeeping. If you had a loss and then you had a gain or a profit and then you need to balance those out, this will catch that. So you have two options. You can either look at each quarter individually or you can look at the year to date, see what you estimate your tax to be 
subtract out what you have already put to the side for taxes or what you've already paid for taxes and then save the remainder. This way, if you have any adjustments or you had to fix your books from earlier in the year, that's not getting lost throughout the year as you're making these payments. So some frequently asked questions that we get around quarterly taxes. And this is really important for businesses because you want to avoid surprises when you go to file your return. Quarterly taxes are your way of putting some money again up in advance so that when you get to your tax return, you're not like, I have no idea what I might owe you. So the first question that comes up a lot is what happens if I miss a payment? The thing to know about quarterly taxes is they are not like credit card payments. It's not a situation where if you were supposed to pay on the 15th, on the 16th, you get hit with a late fee. Instead, it's a stretched out percentage based. And so it's a very small percentage per month that you are charged on the money that you didn't pay when you file your return. So if you miss a payment, if April 15th comes and you're not going to have the money until April 28th, pay as soon as you can as close to the tax deadline as you can. Because again, you don't want to be responsible for any penalties. At any rate, definitely pay before your tax return is filed. So what happens if you have missed payments is that the IRS tracks back all of the months that you were late. So let's say you didn't pay any quarterly taxes and you just filed your return next April. The IRS would see how much you owed and say, well, 25% of this was due last April. So you're a year late on that. Then another 25% was due last June. So you're nine months late on that. And they're assessing penalties and interest that way. It's usually not a ton, but that depends on how much you owe. But you don't want to give the IRS of the state any more money than you have to. So to the extent that you can, pay as close to the deadline as you can. If you miss the deadline, pay as close to the next deadline as you can. So if you've missed all of these months, right? We're toward the end of the year now. Pay as much as you can now to avoid waiting until the return is filed. That leads to question two, which is what should I do if I'm behind? Bookkeeping is an underrated art. Bookkeeping is one of the most important pieces to getting your tax deductions, to getting you an accurate tax return. So you want to get that up to date. Don't make this a small thing. It is a big thing for your business. We're here for taxes, but bookkeeping also makes sure that you can make strategic decisions about your next steps. So you want to get your bookkeeping up to date so that you can determine how much you owe using that rule of thumb percentage and pay as much as you can. So in the example that I just gave, we're close to the end of the year. The last payment was due in September. The next payment is due in January. Go ahead and look at your bookkeeping. Use that 25 to 30% of profit and see how much you can pay now. If you can't pay all of it, you at least have a sense of what might be owed from you so that again, you're not surprised. I don't like financial surprises. So to the extent that you can know in advance, hey, I know that I'm going to owe this come January or I know that I'm going to owe this come April, even if I don't have all of it now, It can be a little bit stressful, but it's also empowering for you to have some sense of what's going to be due from you. We talked about the penalty if you pay late. Um, The last time I checked, I think it was something like 0.2% per month. So it's very small, but I have never seen people get penalized for paying like two weeks late. All of the penalties that I've seen are because you waited till next year and just didn't give them anything. So that takes me back to pay as close to the deadline as you possibly can. 
And then a question that I have seen come up in multiple ways is I paid quarterly taxes. Why do I owe? Could I still end up owing even if I paid throughout the year? And the answer is yes. So if you go back to what we talked about, about how taxes work, you are estimating. And sometimes you'll be super close and sometimes you'll be a little bit further off. So just making estimated payments throughout the year doesn't automatically mean that you won't owe. What we are hoping though, is that you are estimating close enough that it is not a complete surprise, the difference that might come up on your tax return. But no, just because you make quarterly estimates doesn't mean that you automatically won't owe anything come tax time. All right, everybody's favorite part. Let's talk about deductible expenses because deductible expenses are those that reduce your tax burden by not having that dollar tax. So every dollar that you spend on deductible expenses is a dollar that you don't pay taxes on. I want to be clear, that is not a dollar off of tax. So for every dollar that you spend on a deductible expense, you may save 25 to 35 cents in taxes. I want to make that clear because y'all's favorite internet cousins are constantly telling you to spend money on deductible expenses like it will be free. It is still cash out the door. So when you are spending money on deductions, I want you to think about it like buying things on sale. Don't spend $100 to save $25 in taxes. I'd rather you just be prepared to pay this $25 in taxes. But if it is something that you want for your business or need for your business, here are some places that that can show up. The first thing to know about deductible expenses is that they has to meet two qualifications. One is that it's ordinary and two is that they are necessary. So ordinary means that these are common in your industry, that people, peers that do the same type of work as you, they're incurring the same types of expenses. Necessary means that it is helpful for you to do your job. So not do I absolutely need it to carry out these functions, but is it helpful? Um, an example that I always give is that Little Fish has a podcast called Fish Food. And in order to do that podcast, I had to buy a microphone. That mic is not necessary for me to do accounting service, but it is necessary for me to be able to bring up um, this level of service or this option within our business. So ordinary and necessary are the first two rules of deductible expenses. Here are some common ones that come up for clients like ours, which again are professional service providers, um, people whose biggest costs are typically software and people. First one is advertising. Advertising is anything that you spend in order to get the word out about your business. So this could be online social media ads. This could be flyers. This might be your website. Anything that you are paying for to tell the world that your company and offers exist is going to be an advertising expense. Then we have training and professional development. Training and professional development includes anything that you invest in in order to better yourself or your company in order to provide your good or service. So conferences, webinars, courses that you take, people that you pay to teach you, coaches, those are going to be training and professional development costs that you can deduct. Meals. Ah, let's talk about meals because I know I be hating on the internet a lot. But the internet do have you thinking that you can go out and have brunch with your homegirls and just mention your business one time and you can deduct it. 
I would like to let y'all know that that is not true. So meals must be in service of your business. This means that you are meeting with a client. You are meeting with a lead. You might be meeting with a, a mentor, a coach, a somebody that is related to your business. But one of the recent changes to the rules is that during COVID, you were allowed to deduct 100% of meals. That has or will change back to 50%. Everybody be acting like it wasn't 50% before, but it was for a very, very long time. And then we had a short period where it's 100 and then it will go back to 50%. But the idea is that you are having meals for your business. One thing that I want to note here, if you are on travel, you can still deduct that meal. If you are at home, so let's say you live in D.C. and you go into a conference in D.C., you're in the radius of your house. You can't deduct that meal if you're not meeting with other people about your business. That's just sustenance. You had to have lunch anyway, and you're around a corner from your house. So if you're on travel, yes. If you are local and you are eating by yourself, probably not. But if it is with a business partner, if it is with any of the people that I mentioned earlier that you're having a meal with, take that deduction. Make sure that you include it in full in your books so that your tax preparer can half that. I say that because let's say you spent $500 on meals and you're like, well, I don't know, only half is deductible. So I gave my tax preparer $250. We're going to half that again. So you want to give us the whole amount and we'll make sure that you get the appropriate percentage. All right, insurance. While some um, self-employed individuals will be allowed to deduct their health insurance, this insurance is, I'm thinking about business insurance. So errors and emissions, any cybersecurity or data protection insurance that you pay for for your business, those are going to be deductible expenses. Telephone. Telephone gets missed a lot, I think, because most people pay for their cell phones out of their personal accounts. And so they don't realize that this is an expense that's deductible to them. But we use our phones for business all the time. Even if you're not just talking to clients, you are managing your social media, you may be emailing, you may be texting, you may be setting up uh, documents for your clients on your phone, part of your phone might be a deductible expense. And so what I typically tell people is to look at your usage of your phone, you're doing an estimate, and kind of figure out how much am I using it for personal versus business. I'm old. So I remember when you used to get minutes on our phone and you could like see how many minutes that I spend on business first person. We don't have that. I typically tell people to start with about 50% and then move up or down based on how much you think that you're using your phone for business. That business percentage can then be applied to your telephone bill for the year and the cost of your telephone. And y'all know these new iPhones are like a million dollars a year. So make sure you take that whole deduction. All right. Travel. I'm going to tell y'all about travel like I told you about meals. The people are lying to you. You cannot just go on vacation um, for two weeks and be like, I took a webinar there, so it's a business deduction. That is not real. I think something to know is that one, travel has to be in service of the business. So you are going on this trip for something for your business. Now, let's say you are lucky enough to have a business-related retreat in Hawaii. So you're going to go to Hawaii. And the retreat is three days, but you like, I came all the way out to Hawaii. I'm staying out here for about two weeks. The flight and the hotel and the days that you are there for the conference are going to be deductible. The rest of that time that you're just playing, hanging out with your boo or your family and just like luxuriating in Hawaii, that's not going to be a deductible expense. So make sure that you make that split, that you identify the part that is for business and include that as a deductible expense and that you recognize the rest of that is just a personal expense that you're not going to be able to take off. Mileage. 
Mileage is when you are driving from your office, we'll talk about home office in a minute, to a business-related location. So this might be to meet with a client. If you sell goods or have to mail something, this could be a drive to the post office. It could be when you have to go to Office Depot to pick up stuff for your desk. Like mileage is from your office to that place. It is really hard um, to just track that manually. There are a couple of apps that will do that for you. One that I really like is Mile IQ um, that you put on your phone and it's like Tinder. So basically it follows you all the time and you like swipe to the left if it's business and swipe to the right if it's personal. What's cool about it is that means by the end of the year, you have a report that you can provide to your tax provider that shows all of your miles without you having to track it. The offside of that is that you constantly got to go in there and tell it about your trip. So do with that what you will. But car and truck expenses can be deductible in one of two ways. First, don't go get that G-Wagon. Y'all can go and there are so many reasons, but don't go get that G-Wagon. But car and truck expenses can be deducted in one of two ways. You can have actual expenses. So everything that you spent on the car, oil changes, repairs, payments, potentially, depending on how you paid for it. And then you take the business percentage of that total amount, and then you can deduct that. I will say, spoiler alert, more often than not, for most people that are not using their car all the time for business, it is more beneficial and easier to track by just tracking your mileage and taking the standard mileage rate. So this means that you're going to show all of your business miles. There's a standard mileage rate that usually fluctuates between 50 and 60 cents per mile by the IRS. And then you can deduct that amount. Give all of your information to your tax preparer. You're going to take the bigger of the two. So if you've been capturing all of the real expenses that you've had on your car, make sure that you submit that. They will put both in and then you will take the deduction that is largest. Equipment and supplies is pretty self-explanatory. Anything that you have to use in order to make or sell your good. So this can be anything from ink to if you need a printing press for the thing that you do. That's going to be a deduction. May have to be capitalized. But just know that it can be deducted in some way for you. Then your home office. So because the IRS likes rules of two, the home office has to be regularly and exclusively used for business. Regularly means this is where you typically do your work. So more often than not, when you are working, you are working from this home office. Exclusively means that this is all you do there. All you do is work. Now, this came up a lot during the shutdowns because people were working from places like your dining room table or your couch or your bed. That is not a home office because it is not exclusively used for your business. Now, for some of us, A lot of us who live in high rent districts, you may not have a whole room that's an office. Even if it's a corner of a room, if you can set out what that square footage is, you can show that as a percentage of your house. So if you got a space that's 10 by 10, you're going to take that square footage versus the square footage of your whole house. And then you can deduct additional things like rent, potentially mortgage interest, repairs. Um, Some people that live in apartments, you may be able to deduct parking. Stuff or condos, you may be able to deduct parking. So these are expenses that you get to take advantage of if you have a space in your house that's regularly and exclusively used. And remember, again, it doesn't have to be a room. I've seen people use a closet. I've seen them use a corner of a living room. It just needs to be a space in your house that meets those two rules. 
Legal and professional fees. These are costs for paying for professional services. And this includes your attorney, your accountant. If you have a graphic designer or somebody that is doing service for you on your team, these are going to be included as well. And then setup costs. The reason that I bring this up is that I've seen businesses who are like, hey, I started my business technically in June, but I had gotten all these expenses from January that I was incurring before I was official. Because we're looking at the whole year, we're just going to squash that up like the business started at the beginning, all of your income and all of your expenses for the year. If you have multiple years wherein you started incurring expenses a year, two years ago, but you weren't actually open for business until now, make sure to talk to your tax preparer because there are some special rules about how much you can deduct in one year year if it spans a couple. But for all intents and purposes, if you started earlier this year, you kind of fell off and then you started making money later in the year, we're just going to call that all of 2022 and use that as it will. All right. So what is tax planning? The kind of official definition is a strategic review of your finances in advance of tax return prep in order to maximize deductions and minimize tax liability. What does that mean? This is you planning in advance before we get to tax time to have a sense of what you can be doing throughout the year, what you should be aware of before you get to tax time, and what deductions that you'll be entitled to. Because remember, when you file your tax return in April, you are actually filing from the year before. One of the reasons that we do year-round service is because if you come in February, there's nothing or very little that I can do. The year has already passed. We really want to make sure that you're getting all the information that you need throughout the calendar year so that by the time it's time to file your taxes, you can close that year out. What I hate most is when people do not have, I don't hate this most, but what makes me feel bad is when people have not had tax planning and you realize, oh, you should have contributed to this thing or, oh, you should have, you wanted to buy a computer, you were already thinking about it. Maybe you should have done that in December, but now it's February, it's March. We can't count it for last year. So you really want to make sure that you're getting support before the year is over so that you don't come to a place where you realize that it's too late for you to actually make any changes that would affect your tax burden. And that is why I highly encourage year-round tax planning. So one, you'll have enough time to save for the amount due. So remember, we talked about quarterly taxes. Your business, like a lot of small business, might have some ebbs and flows where you got a lot of money, then you got a little bit, and then you got a lot again, and then you have a medium amount, right? If you know throughout the year what is going to be required of you, It doesn't feel like it hit you all at once when the tax return came out. You can have a sense of like, okay, I know I'm going to owe them this. I know I have a huge launch at the end of the year. I'll be able to get that money and pay them. But it doesn't feel like you're kind of waiting on somebody to give you a magic number. It also allows time for cleanup. So y'all already heard, I am a lover of bookkeeping. And while I would love for everybody to just do their bookkeeping every week or every other week, I, like y'all, do not stay on top of it as well. But you have a whole year. So if you are thinking about it throughout the year and you get two weeks behind, you get a month behind, you get two months behind, you can catch it up throughout the year so that you don't feel so much stress when you get to tax season of like, oh crap, now I got to hurry up and get that together as well. 
It avoids surprises. So again, not only are you saving up in advance, but you kind of know what's coming come April. And so you can make other decisions about money in your life because it's not going to be a shock to your system. Finally, year-round tax planning minimizes the amount of taxes that you have to pay. You get to have conversations about like, how much should my salary be? How much should I contribute to retirement? Am I able to deduct this? You can ask all of those questions in almost real time if you have year-round tax planning so that when it comes time to file your tax return, I like to say that it should almost feel like a formality. We've already been talking all year long. You already have a sense of how much money you've paid in. You got an assessment at the end of the year about what you thought that this would look like. All right, by the time you have to file your return, you've paid what you were supposed to pay and not anymore, Uh, but you also have hopefully gotten guidance so that you can pay less than you might have otherwise. Okay, so it's the end of the year. And y'all are just now talking to me and you're like, how do I prepare? Because I wasn't doing all this stuff because I didn't know. That's all right. So first thing is get organized. Most of the stress that comes from tax preparation is not because of numbers. It is because you feel like your stuff is all over the place. In the upcoming months, you will start getting forms from everybody who knows what. That's a year-end tax form that they want to give you. I would highly recommend that you make a tax folder, whether it's in real life or it's online, and you just start taking pictures and dropping them in there. You do not want to be like, oh, I think I saw that it was on my kitchen counter and now I'm not sure where it was. This way, by the time your tax preparer asks for documents, you can pull everything that you need from one place. Two, surprise, surprise, ensure that your bookkeeping is up to date. Bookkeeping mistakes are a top way to lose out on tax deductions, miscategorizing something, missing items that should have been deducted that you didn't take advantage of. If you're doing your bookkeeping, and that includes reconciling your accounts so that you make sure that there are no duplicates, so you're not overtaxed and no missing expenses so that you're not taking all of your deductions, bookkeeping is going to help you do that. And so to the extent that you can, I tell people, don't rush yourself. Do like one month a day if you feel behind. Start with like January. If you're really feeling on top of it, go ahead and run up February. Stop. A day or two later, do March, April, maybe May. Don't feel like you have to get it all out of the way at one time, but do get it done as soon as possible so that if there are any updates, changes, or guidance that you need, you can get that before 1231. Next, check in throughout the year. Make sure that you have a trusted tax professional that you can reach out to and say, hey, is this right? Hey, I saw this on TikTok. I saw this on Instagram. Am I able to deduct it? Hey, I was thinking about spending on this thing. Is that going to be a deductible expense to me? Even if you're not doing it real time, if you can have consult calls in the middle of the year and the end of the year to just say, here's where I am. Here's where everything stands. Can you talk to me about any things that I should be aware of as we go through this next six months? Next, pay your estimated taxes. Um, I know it can feel like one more thing that you have to remember to do, but in order to avoid surprises and be real about the fact that all that money in your bank account doesn't belong to you, we really need to make sure that you're paying those estimated taxes throughout the year. That way, when you look at your bank account, actually go back, make a separate tax account. 
So throughout the year, you're going to have an operations account where all of your bills and stuff come out of, and you're going to have a separate tax account that you move money over to. Because I want your mindset to tell you that that money is not yours, that it is not due to the IRS or the state yet, but it's also already earmarked to go somewhere else. And then finally, like I said earlier about deductions, be thoughtful about year-end spending. This is the time of year where a lot of people will encourage you to buy things because they're deductible, spend money to save on taxes. That doesn't work for everybody. As we think about what may be coming up for you in the next year, it actually may be more important for you to have a strong cash cushion than to spend all of your money on deductions that are only going to save you so much in taxes. Um, The other thing about that is you don't want to buy unnecessarily, right? Because at the end of the day, yes, you are saving some taxes, but you are also spending cash. And so as you get your bookkeeping up to date, as you pay your estimated taxes, you want to come to a place that you feel comfortable with saying, based on the amount of cash that I have in my business, what am I willing to spend on? Not just because it saves you on taxes, but because it's an expense that you needed to incur for the business anyway. All right. So When you are looking for accounting and tax support, here's a couple of questions that you will probably ask and what you will want to make sure that you get from your person. So you want to be honest about where you stand. Are you behind on filing? Do you have any outstanding tax obligations? Your tax preparer is going to need to know this so that they're making sure that they're filing appropriately for the upcoming year. They should be looking at your prior year returns, making sure that when it lines up from this year to last year, there's nothing obvious or glaring that might be missing or needs additional support. You want to look at an assessment of the accounts that you're investing in. Now, typically, this is going to come from your financial planner, and they're going to be able to give you some support around like how you invest, what you're investing in, how much you can put in there. Um, But you want to make sure that your accounting partner is giving you the right numbers from your financial reports so that when you give it to your financial advisor, they're using true data to make decisions for you. And then finally, they should be providing guidance on how to reduce your tax burdens for the upcoming year. For some of you, this is going to be super simple. It's going to be like, get your bookkeeping in order, and then we can see if there's anything missing. For some people, the guidance is going to be pay your estimated taxes on time because you have to spend money to save on taxes, and this is not the time to do that. But you just want somebody else in your ear to kind of give you a little bit more support to one, confirm that you're on the right track with what you're already doing, and two, let you know if they see anything missing that you should be taking advantage of. When you're choosing a tax preparer, first, you want to find somebody who works with businesses like yours. I said recently that like millionaires don't have the same problems as thousandaires. And so there may be tax strategies that are not available to you because you're just not that at that level of business yet. If you are at that level, you want to make sure that you're working with a tax preparer that is familiar with that, not just your revenue, but also your industry type, your size of business, just that they've worked with businesses like yours before. I always say look early so you don't feel desperate. A lot of tax preparers have actually opted out. Um, These past few seasons have been a little bit brutal. Um, And so there are tax preparers who have decided to get out of the game, which means that there are fewer available good ones. Um, And some of them are not necessarily taking new clients. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to say, don't wait until March to find your person. Start being able to do your due diligence now to find somebody that you like and trust so that you can then have somebody that you really want to work with when it comes to tax season. 
Make sure that you understand how they'll communicate with you and the frequency. If you ever are a person that needs to go into an office and sit in front of somebody, make sure that that's available to you from your tax preparer. If you prefer to have Zoom calls or to do it online, make sure that that's how they work. Your tax preparer is really going to be an intimate part of your team when it comes to your finances. And so you want to make sure that you're getting exactly what you expect and that they are laying out expectations really clearly for you. Finally, ask the right questions. And I put right in quotes because there are no wrong questions, but ask everything that you need to in order to feel like this is a good fit. You do not want to be in a situation where you're like, oh, um, it turns out I want to talk to you every month. Lay that out up front so that they know exactly what they can and can't do for you. But also ask questions like, what happens if I get a penalty? What happens if I get a letter from the IRS or the state? How can I work with you? Is that something that you support on? Just so that, again, expectations are set in terms of what they will do for you and what you'll be responsible for doing yourself. If you heard this episode and thought to yourself, man, I could really use some help with my taxes, the Tax Prep Suite might be for you. So we offer a year-round service that includes your annual tax return, estimated payments, and two planning calls, in addition to unlimited email support so that you can ask questions to your heart's content. We are committed to serving micro businesses in the professional service industry. So if you are a business with one owner and a very small team that makes your money off of the education, knowledge, and expertise from your brain, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to submit an application and review our service at littlefishaccounting.com. The link will be in the show notes and we look forward to hearing from you.